0: Alright, Revelation 2, beginning in verse 1, let's all stand together and we will read together. Revelation 2, verses 1, we're going to read through verse 7. 1, 2, 3, read. This is the word of the Lord. God, we ask this morning as we sit under your word, that we would be shaped by it. God, we know the promise that you give, that your word does not return void, but it goes out and it accomplishes exactly what it intends to. And that for us is not an excuse for bad sermons, That is an invitation to recognize that Christ always accomplishes, Christ, the Word made flesh, always accomplishes what God intends for him to. And this morning, as the Word of Christ comes to us through these words, we pray that we would be softened to them, that we would be changed by them, that we would not sit under these words and think that must be for someone else back then but we would recognize that here and now are words for us today a people a people in need of a savior a people in need of gospel hope would you lead us and would you teach us this morning it's in your name we pray and then you may be seated <clears throat> About 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus, maybe you've heard of him, uh, came to the earth and he did a, a portion of his ministry here on the earth, a portion of his ministry here on the earth. And during that time, uh, someone came up to him and they asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Essentially, what they're asking is, what does God want from me? Like, how do I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do? And Jesus answers that question. He answers that question in this way. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first And greatest commandment and a second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself and then he summarizes almost the entire Old Testament he summarizes the entire Old Testament in this phrase on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets this is what Jesus wants us to know God commands us to know God to love God And to love others. All of God's commands throughout all of the Bible depend on us getting those two right. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what happens when a church gets those two things wrong? What might Jesus have to say to his people when they lack love for God and as a result are lacking in love for others? Well, we don't have to wonder. In Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, Jesus confronts a loveless church and he tells them something that us today need to hear. And it's that loveless Christianity isn't Christianity. Loveless Christianity isn't Christianity. Verse 1 of our passage today, it opens up with an introduction to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So this letter itself, this small portion of seven verses, is written to a very specific church that we have a lot of information about in the Bible, but it's written by a very specific person notice the writer the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands and we might be asking in this section who is this author who is this writer who is this one who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven golden lampstands well this as we would come to find out if we were to read the entire book is Jesus the book of revelation it's a book written to the church to tell them something hold on Jesus is coming soon amidst all the things that are going on in the world Jesus has some things he wants to say to a church he wants to tell his church so that they will not be able to look at his return with fear, but to look at his return with excitement and joy. Amidst all the suffering in the world, amidst all the hardship, the wickedness, persecution, wars, Jesus is coming soon, hold on. And in that message are some very specific words for the church. He wants them to hear those words and respond accordingly. But in order to do that. The author has to establish his authority. I want you to imagine that if after church today you went to lunch and after lunch, you were laughing with your friend on the way to the car and you misstepped and you hurt your ankle. And as you're on the ground, a woman nearby comes up to you and she says, I think it might be broken. And you don't take it very seriously because you typically don't take advice from strangers very seriously. You say, no, it's probably okay. I'll stand up and I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll walk on it. Just go and put some ice on it. And we'll be fine. Over the next couple days, your ankle continues to hurt and get worse. And so you think, I should probably go to the doctor and you go to the doctor and in walks the woman who gave you that advice on Sunday. (laughs) Recognizing her identity establishes her authority. If you would have known on the concrete that day that she was the doctor giving you the advice you may have responded differently to the words that she had just spoken to you. If we want to respond rightly to the Jesus of the Bible, we've got to know who he is. In chapter 1 of Revelation, Christ's authority is established. His authority to speak to his church with power and with wisdom and with might is established in Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one it tells us some things about Jesus. I was going to tell you them, but maybe I'll just read this vision that we see in Revelation one. If you go to verse uh, ten or verse eleven, saying, "Write what you see in a book." And send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned. So after hearing the voice, John turns and he saw the voice that was speaking to him. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades right therefore." The things that you have seen." That's a fascinating introduction to someone, isn't it? It's a whole lot more than a white cloak affirming a doctor. That is the glory of the God of creation. He is the Lord of all creation. He is God. He is the one who has conquered death. He is the one who holds the church together. And it is this person who writes this letter to this church, and it is this person who has something to say to us today. And then in Revelation 2, 1, it looks back on that vision and affirms his identity, telling us something about his identity. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If we were to spend more time in Revelation 1, we'd learn that the seven stars are messengers to the church. And we would learn that the seven golden lampstands are the church itself. Christ is the one who holds the church. And we are told in chapter 1, that this idea of Christ holding the church, or we're told in verse 1, Jesus is telling us that he's the one at the center of this church. That he is the one at the center of the church for all time. He's in charge. And with that authority established, we're prepared to hear his words with the right perspective. If this is the Christ who is the Lord of all creation, who is the Lord of all, church, of all the churches, if this is the only one who can speak with authority, well then when we know that about him, we can hear his words rightly. And here come the words, I know your works. Your toil, your patient endurance, How you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false i know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary the beginning of this it's encouragement to this church to the church in ephesus it's it's a just an invitation to see some good things about this church this church is faithful to correct teaching they are faithful to good biblical teaching and by their works and by their words they have remained faithful to christ they are working hard to remain clear about the teachings of the church if we were to go back to acts 20 paul writes to this same church and what he says to this church as he's departing from them he tells them to pay careful attention to themselves to pay careful attention to their teaching and to watch out for the church to care for it by means of protecting the truth and it would seem from this section of scripture that they have held on to that that they have held on to the truth They've done that. Verse 6 reaffirms this in this little encouragement sandwich we have. Verse 6 is, They hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, I want us to picture something. You've been called into your boss's office, and at the front end they're like, you know, you're on time pretty regularly. I'm really pleased with that. You show up, and most of the time you do a pretty good job. But... If you don't change the way you're treating people around you, you're going to be fired. But I want you to know you did great work on that report last week. You know what you're walking away from that office with? I'm going to be fired if I don't change. (laughs) But the encouragement sandwich sits there to to point some things out that are helpful here. Bye. Their words, they've remained faithful. They hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, we don't know a ton about who these people are from Scripture. Early church pastors will tell us that they used the Bible to affirm just continued pursuit of unrestrained indulgence. They were just doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. But what we know is that this church, the church in Ephesus, is not veering from the truth in any of these ways. They know their Bibles. They know good teaching. They're not going to be swayed to abandon the truth. But for all of their commitment to gospel teaching or gospel doctrine, they don't have a gospel culture. Verse 4 but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first jesus is coming to this church and he is saying to them you've got truth down you are a pillar of gospel truth a pillar of gospel doctrine but you do not have love and i have this against you let's imagine for a moment what that might sound like slightly removed from this hey I see you do a lot of good things for your wife and for your kids but it's clear from my time with you that you don't love them. You're paying the bills, you're making sure the house is kept up, you're even showing up to soccer games but it's pretty clear that you aren't happy about it. You've got truth down, you're doing a lot of good things but you have no love. What is this love that they are lacking? Is a question we must ask in this passage. Verse five is going to help us with this. Remember, therefore, and re- remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Notice that language: "From where you have fallen." From where in exactly has this church fallen? Well, we benefit from this specific church having a lot written to them in Scripture. Ephesians 1.15, the Apostle Paul writes to this church and he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. They had a love for God in the beginning that moved them out in love for others, particularly love for the body of Christ. And Jesus wants this church to love one another. They've kept up in faithfulness to Christ, but they do not love one another. They've walked in obedience to the truth, but they do not love one another. At the very least, this church has broken the second greatest commandment, but they also don't reflect what Christ has said about his church. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he starts to teach about what it means to be a Christian in the book of John. A question might ask, how will people know that God's people are God's people? And Jesus answers, by their love for one another. It is love for one another that holds up the church as a powerful prophetic witness in the world. And they have abandoned that love in this church. We'll get into this more next week in the Sermon on the Mount, but I just think that it is so easy to fall into this. We want to be faithful to God. We know that we've been called to walk this Christian life together, so we get into close relationship with other Christians, and we see some stuff in their life that doesn't reflect the truth of the gospel, and we know it needs to be addressed. It's important to, that we remember that Jesus does not call for tolerance of sin. That's not his definition of love. He doesn't call for tolerance of false teaching. In fact, he commends this church for their commitment to truth and faithfulness to biblical teaching. And in a few letters moving on from this one, he's going to rebuke a church for their tolerance of sin. So, it, love can't mean tolerance, it can't mean that. In another letter, he's going to write to churches, he'll deal with the kind of lovelessness that actually tolerates sin and tolerates evil and tolerates false teaching. He's not calling us to tolerance, but he does call us to make sure that our address and the way we pursue gospel truth in the church is from a place filled with love. If we were to go back to paul's writings in acts chapter 20 to this very church he talks about how there are going to be people who raise up to cause dissension in the church with false teaching and he points to his three years with that church where he admonished them with great tears it was painful for him to walk in rebuke for people in that church but it is like it is entirely possible to grow to the point where rebuke is more fun for you than it should be And Jesus has a problem with that. How do they change then? How do they get back, repent and do the works you did at first? Repentance, own it, pursue love. Notice the language, do the things you did at first. Repentance requires action and so does love. Jesus commands this church to move the gospel from their heads to their hearts and to let the good news about Christ shape their affections and shape their actions towards others. And my brothers and sisters, this letter is one of seven written to seven churches, which if you're familiar with the Bible, seven stands for completion, stands for fullness, which means this is not just written to the church in Ephesus. This is written to you and I today. And so let me reread what i just said jesus commands our church to move the gospel from our heads to our hearts and to let the good news about christ shape our affections and our actions towards others and there is a promise for those who don't respond to this correction and there is a promise for those who do verse 5 in the second half of that if you do not repent if not i will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent that's quite a statement there i will come to you And remove your lampstand from its place. I want us to remember that this book is prophesying the return of Christ. Jesus is coming soon. And in this specific scenario of an unrepentant church. It's not good news when Jesus comes. What does it mean that he will remove their lampstand from its place? Well, generally, it means they won't be a church anymore. (laughs) Because a loveless church isn't a biblical church at all. But specifically, the idea of a lampstand throughout the Bible communicates the Spirit's presence. And Jesus picks up on this when he says, You are the light of the world. So let your light shine so that people may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. The church as a lampstand is trying to help us to see something. Our ability to shine light in the world. Our ability to be a witness to the world is directly connected to our ability to love one another and to love God. If we are missing those two pieces... Our witness is gone and our lampstand will be removed. Jesus is telling us this morning in verses two to six of this chapter that a church without love loses its ability to be a prophetic witness in the world because they don't reflect Christ. If we have not love, people will not know we are Christians. If we have not love, we are just making a bunch of noise with no substance. If we have not love, we gain nothing from all of our labors. And if we have not love, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, we are nothing. Loveless Christianity isn't Christianity. Verse 7. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. There's a promise here. There's a promise in verse 5 for those who don't listen and there's a promise in verse 7 for those who do listen. And it's a promise of future hope for those who hear and respond to these words. In Jeremiah 2, God recounts, the history of his people they were a bride to the Lord filled with youthful devotion and love but over time they forgot their love that they had at first and over time it led to a lack of faithfulness you see love motivates faithfulness but over time faithfulness without love will fall away this promise of the tree of life in verse seven it's so important to pick up on It's a call back to the garden, back to the very beginning of creation, back to paradise and pointing forward to when Christ returns, when all things are made new. And in both of those places, there's something true. God walks with his people. God is with His people, He fellowships with them, He embraces them, and it is good news. You see, this is a prophecy of the future when God will dwell with His people again. Jesus is reminding us today of our eternal destiny. He's reminding us today of our eternal destiny. As Christians, we claim that our eternal destiny is with Him and in His presence forever with all who believe in Him. Relationship with the triune God and with his people is what the Christian is destined for. The invitation here is to recognize a few things. The first is that if we have not love, we've missed what Christ is after in redemption, we've missed it. This invitation to repent of our lovelessness, it's a kindness from Christ who desires that we would live into the communion He has purchased for us. Communion with God, communion with one another. It's the holy love of God that stirs Him up into redemption of His people. He loved us, so He sent His Son, and we love Him as a response to His love that He first showed to us. And any time we fail to walk in love for others, It reveals a misplaced understanding of God's love for us and our love for God. God is not interested in our faithfulness to him if we have not love for him and love for his people. God is after our hearts. And true devotion to Christ always flows from love for Christ. This, right here, in the paradise of God, with Him and with His people forever, is what we have been created for. God commands us To love God and to love others. All of God's commands throughout all of Scripture depend on us getting those two things right. So, what happens to us when we get those two things wrong? What might Jesus have to say to us when in the Facebook comments we lack love for God and love for others? What might Jesus have to say to us when we're more concerned with rebuking our brothers and sisters in Christ than with walking with them? What might God have to say to us this morning when we lack love for Him, and as a result, are lacking in love for others. Jesus is coming to us today, and He is saying to us today that loveless Christianity isn't Christianity. Maybe you're in here this morning. You are a Christian. There's an invitation here to continue on in love for the brothers of Christ and the sisters of Christ. There's an invitation here to continue on in love for God, allowing that love to motivate your obedience to Christ, not the other way around. And there's an invitation here to repentance if you find yourself as one who walks in lovelessness towards others and towards God. And if you're not a Christian in this room, here's what I just have an invitation for you. Man, maybe you are a victim of the lovelessness of God's supposed people. And Jesus is just as angry about that as you are. That's not the Christianity that he offers to us. He invites us into communion with him and communion with one another forever. Would you consider would you consider giving the church another shot? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have graciously this morning come to us. Some of us in various places of need and you have shown us What a loveless church looks like and you have invited us to continue to do the works that you did at first lord i think of that invitation to first love to excitement and to zeal to maybe not all the right answers but to pursuit i think of that first love before you've been hurt (laughs) before you've grown skeptical i think of that first love that invites us to joy god would you lead us this morning to that place lord we thank you and we rejoice at this promise at the end of this to hear he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so this morning, Lord, I, I, would you speak? As we quiet ourselves, as, as I in a moment will be silent for a moment. Lord, would you just speak? Would you apply this text where it needs to be applied? I want to invite you at this point in time to ask the Lord to show you if there is lovelessness in your life towards God or towards others. He who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches jesus is coming to us today and he's saying loveless christianity isn't christianity but he's also saying to us in this gracious invitation of repentance this gracious command of repentance that there's a promise for those who listen Eternity with God. Eternity with Him. Eternity in His presence, Lord. We've we've been created for communion with You. Would You help us to see that?